really encouraged by uh, his word to us. It was uh, this theme of the heart last Sunday, in fact, through our prayer and our time together, was, uh, was pretty powerful uh, to hear what God is doing uh, in people's lives. Uh, Kevin, Kevin's journey has been a tough one. I'm going to rem- just turn these off real quick. I didn't realize that going to my phone would... I missed it. Let's go back. There we go. Oh, and you got it. Just in time. It's been a tough journey. I've been, in, I've been Kevin's friend for a long time. And, uh, and I appreciate your prayers for him, for his heart, and for the, the, the journey he's walking on. Um, but, but God, even just this week, there's new doors that have opened for him and Brenda. And um, good things that God is doing there. But thank you for your prayers. And thank you for welcome, welcoming them so warmly. It was, uh, it was good. And I just enjoyed being in church and hearing a sermon. It was great, receiving myself, but I'm excited to be back in this series, The Prosperous Soul. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Uh, God is designed for your soul to prosper. Your soul is designed to prosper. In 3 John verse 2, it says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. John here, I'm writing to Gaius, his friend, uh, John was his pastor, and he says, I, I want you to know I'm praying for you, and I'm praying that you will prosper in every aspect of your life, that, that every part of who you are, your health and, and everything, your relationships would prosper just as your soul prospers, as your soul gets along, as some translations would say. And what he's essentially saying is this, as your soul prospers, all of those other places of your life, those other areas of your life will prosper as well. And the thing is, is we can get wrapped up in circumstances. We can look at the things happening in our lives, the, the, the situations and the re, even the realities as we call them of our lives and get kind of trapped into those things thinking that those are the things that define us. But the reality is, is my soul connect to God, my relationship with Him is ultimately the thing that is going to direct the course of my life, not the circumstances I find myself in at any given moment. And so a number of weeks ago, I'd asked this question, is your soul prospering? Is your soul prospering? But the reality is we can't answer that question sufficiently if we don't have the right information. If we don't fully understand what the soul is, so we've talked about the fact that your soul is who you are, it is your center, it is your being, it is yourself, it is that part of you, that, that inner life that directs your decisions, that, 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 that thinks about your future, that dreams about where you're headed. It's the part that connects your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body. We all have a past. We're all coming from someone, somewhere. We've all been affected by people in our lives and, and, and circumstances in our lives and the culture in our lives and the things around us. Well, as those things affect us and, and as our physical bodies walk through this life and our emotions experience different things, our soul will, is the thing that connects all of those pieces and makes us a complete whole. It integrates the aspects of our lives into a functional whole. 
John Ortberg says it this way, the soul is the capacity to integrate all of the parts into a single whole life. It is something like a program that runs a computer. You don't usually notice it unless it messes up, right? You ever that moment, that, that blue screen that pops up? And you're like, ah, not the blue screen. Something's wrong on my computer. And, and from time to time, we'll have a, a kind of a blue screen of the soul moment. Something will pop up and we go, this is not working anymore. Something's wrong. And we've been discussing the fact that our soul is needy. You have a needy soul. Your soul has certain needs that need to be taken care of in the same way that if you hold your breath after a minute or so, your body is going to tell you it's time for more oxygen. And it's hard to ignore that, isn't it? Right? You ever been in a pool or in a situation where you go underwater and, and maybe you're under there a little longer? I remember when I was a kid, I was at a pool party and, and I got kind of make, lost in the, the shuffle and got held under the water longer than I wanted to. And, and I came out of the water really panicked. And, and I was like, oh, I need that breath. Why well, our soul is needy in that same way. And ignoring the needs of our soul will ultimately lead to unhealth. And so this morning, I want to talk about the fact that the soul needs to be blessed. Your soul longs to be blessed. Your soul needs to be blessed. Now, that's an interesting word. We use that word a lot, don't we? Hashtag, right? Hashtag blessed. You see it all the time. I'm blessed. What? what if I had asked this morning, I'm not actually going to ask for a response because I know the answer, but if I had asked a question, and I'm going to ask it, who wants to be blessed? I think we would all raise our hands, right? We can't, can't help it. Yes, I want to be blessed. I don't think there's anyone in this room or really anyone anywhere who would say, I, would, I, I really don't want to be blessed. I'd rather not. I'm, I'm, I, in fact, I, I just do, I'd rather go with less and not. No, I, I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. But it's, an imp- it's important for us to have a clear understanding of what blessing is or to be blessed is. You see, true blessing, biblical blessing, has more to do with connection than collection. True biblical blessing has more to do with connection than with collection. See, collection is this. The more stuff I get the happier I am, the more blessed I am. We've measured how blessed, we are, how blessed we are by what we have, our possessions, our finances, our influence, our power, our fame, all things that we can accumulate. They come from the outside, and we say, if I have more of these things, I can now post on my social media that I'm blessed. But we need to understand that blessing has got more to do with connection than it has to do with the acquisition of possessions and items and stuff. And, and, and can I just tell you, we know this. This is not a secret this morning that we live in the midst of a culture where stuff and possessions and, 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 and the gaining of things has become a priority and even an idol. That we put that, we work, we strive, we sacrifice so we can have more stuff. It's amazing to me when you drive down Arrow Highway, how many of those RV storage places there are, right? And how many of those RVs never move, never move. How many driveways have boats in them 
that haven't been in the water for years. Why? Because, because I've got to have that thing. I've got to work towards that thing. I gotta, because then it'll show other people that somehow I'm blessed or at least I'm, I'm diligent and I'm hardworking. But the true definitional, de- biblical definition or understanding of blessing is this. It's about connection. It's about relationship. And you've heard that in this church many, many times. It's all about relationship. All about relationship. It's about our relationship with God. Your soul needs to connect with God. Your soul needs to know God and be known by God. And there needs to be that intimacy. But not just that. We need each other. We need to be connected to each other. That our lives are supposed to be lived in such a way that we don't live isolated from each other. That we live absolutely and completely connected lives with each other. See, blessing and being blessed is a function of the soul. It is the soul that, that receives and gives blessing. It's that part of you that's connected to God that then can pour out into the lives of other people. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says this, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, this passage, that verse, we just equate it to, right, Adam and Eve. There's this guy, and he needs a wife, right? And he needs a helper. And I've talked, you know, I, I've even talked to my wife about this, like, great. Eve is just the helper. But we have a limited understanding, right? Our cultural lens kind of skews the whole thing. God's not saying, like, hey, Adam, you need someone who can do the chores, right? You, you need someone who can load the dishwasher. That's not what God is saying. What he's saying is that you need someone who will be joined to you, that will, will reflect my image to you, someone who will be a blessing to you, and you will be a blessing to them. The this, this statement, it is not good for man to be alone, is so key for us to understand that we were not designed for isolation, We were designed and wired for relationship that physically and psychologically and even at a neurological level, we are designed for relationship. I want to show you this picture. You remember this? Who's that? It's Wilson. Some of the younger people in the the audience or in the congregation are going, huh? Wilson, who was cast away in, you know, uh, that movie where this guy crashes and, you know, the FedEx plane goes down and Tom Hanks playing that character ends up on that island by himself. And what does he do? He makes a friend for himself out of a volleyball. And if you remember in the movie, he gets angry at the volleyball, Right? And he yells at the volleyball. He talks to the volleyball. Wilson becomes his friend. It's just a simple way to illustrate we are wired for relationship. And when we don't have it, we go crazy. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. What, what, what. Scientists are discovering and researchers have discovered about our brains is this. We have something called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons. They are a part of our brain 
that allows us to mimic. We see this most clearly in little children. When you take a fork and you try and show a little one how to use a fork and, and how to, you're right, we, 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 sh- we model it for them. And what they end up doing is they mimic our behavior. And what's happening is the mirror neurons in their brain are watching what we're doing. They start firing and then they activate the neurons in that child's brain that give them the ability to go through those same uh, motions, mimicry. Almost all of human behavior is mimicked. We learned it somewhere. You picked it up somewhere. You learned it from someone. Someone showed you, uh, whether it was in, in person or on TV, or, but you learned it somewhere. I remember when, I was, when our boys were really little, we were driving and they were, they were just learning to speak, and one of my boys used a word that... I didn't want to hear coming out of his mouth. Now, it wasn't necessarily a really bad word, um, and I'm not going to use it this morning, but, but he said this word. And I'm driving, and I got all irate. Where, where, you can't say that. You, where did you learn to, hear, learn, learn to use that word? And Megan just looked at me and smiled. She said, babe, you used that word. And all of a sudden, the same word that was no big deal for me to use coming out of his mouth, oh, now it's a big deal. See, we mimic and we learn these behaviors. By the way, these mirror neurons are actually what give us the ability to have empathy and compassion as well. When the Bible talks about having Jesus having compassion on the people because they were lost or because they were hungry, what was happening is he was seeing their their circumstance, their situation, and, and that part of his brain got activated where he actually felt that compassion. In fact, the word empathy or compassion in, in the Greek talks about an actual physical feeling. And so that's why we're able to, to say to someone, I feel your pain, right? In some circumstances, it can sound trite, but, but the reality is, is when, when I watch you going through something difficult, I can have empathy and that my brain can actually fire in such a way that I can relate to what you're feeling and what you're going through. And so this part of our brain, this, this mirror neuron, starts, starts moving, starts activating. And from a young age, we start learning all of these behaviors, the good and the bad. And we pick stuff up, and by the time we're adults, we don't realize that we're mimicking, but we are. We are. Remember when you're a kid, you ever sing the little song, right? Be careful little eyes, what you see. Be careful little ears, what you hear, right? Those things, those words are so important because, because our brain takes in that information. And we used to have like garbage in, garbage out. We would have those little phrases Right, And they sounded cute, but the reality is that they're absolutely true. That the, the things that we take in affect our thinking, our brain, at a neurological level. We need each other, but we need healthy relationships. We need healthy relationships, life-giving relationships, people who are constantly in an, in an, in an environment that's tearing them down or where bad decisions are being made, what ends up happening is that they will go down those same roads. The Bible says that, right, bad, uh, bad 
Bad character. Bad company corrupts good character. Thank you. Bad company corrupts good character. So that even if you've learned the right things along the way, that if you're in the, the, the wrong circumstances, the wrong people, the wrong input, it will have an effect on you. Our souls need to be blessed. Our souls need to be in a place where we're receiving blessing, but we also need to be giving blessing. We're physically wired for it. Listen to what James says. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. In fact, that phrase, blessing and cursing, is really key in Scripture because we love talking, about bless, love talking about blessing. I love to be blessed, but what's the opposite of blessing? It's cursing. We don't talk a whole lot about cursing, do we? We don't talk about the ways that we're cursed or that we curse. You might be going, Pastor Barry, I haven't cursed anyone. I, I, that's, just, that's just weird stuff. See, I'm not talking about a hex or an incantation or even, right, we use cursing as a, as a descriptor for profanity. That's not the kind of cursing that we're talking about, even though those things are all really bad. Cursing is just this. It's the opposite of blessing. So if I'm not blessing, I'm cursing. If I'm not blessing, I'm cursing. It's a harsh word, isn't it, to curse? I don't want to think about the fact that I might be cursing people as I go throughout my day. But the reality is, is quite often I am. And it's not just what I say. It certainly can be a word, but it can also be the way I say a word. A harsh word, a sarcastic word is not a blessing a look, right? Have you ever been on the receiving end of a look that you knew was just that? That is not a blessing look, right? You're in the parking lot and someone takes your spot, right? You just give them that look that's have a nice day, right? That's not, that's not a blessing. Hopefully that's all you do is give them a look. Because it could be a gesture, Right? Things that we do physically that communicate to people, I, I'm not in a position right now where I want to bless you. Turning our backs on people, ignoring them, see them coming and we walk the other way. This is not blessing, this is cursing. Someone asks you a question and rather than answering it right away, you pause for effect. Not a blessing. That's a curse. That is, that is designed to tear someone down, to, to communicate to them that they are not as valuable or that you don't care about them or even maybe just in that moment you're upset, but you want them to feel a little bit. You know, those mirror neurons start firing in our brains when we anticipate someone's not pleased with us, someone's not happy with us, Right? You ever get the call to go to the principal's office? Anyone? Right? And it didn't matter if it was for good things or bad things. There was just always that kind of that pit in the bottom of your stomach like, <gasps> what's this all about? Like, I don't, I don't ever recall being called to the principal's office for anything bad. Yet every time I went, I just assumed 
it was going to be negative. It was going to be bad. And that had a lot to do with some of the ways that I was raised. And that translated into my adult life. I remember being on staff at a church. And any time the pastor would say, hey, can, can you come up to my office real quick? I am replaying the week through my mind. What did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? Right? Those are those parts of our brains that mirror neurons that when, because we get used to being in that place where we're not blessed or not being a blessing, that those things start firing in an instant. And those are things that are indicative of a soul that's not prospering. That's a soul that's struggling because that's not how God has designed us to live. Cursing is gossip. Gossip. When I'm talking about someone to someone else, even if they're not there, I am cursing them. I am not honoring them. I am not blessing. I'm not lifting them up. Two weeks ago, I had read Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I talked about the whatever test. Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you catch that? Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, mimic me. Start learning to do those things. So what are those things? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Not only do these things, think about them. Let your, your thought process be bathed in those things and saturated because it will literally rewire your brain. And so it just becomes an easy way for, for us to test. Am I blessing or am I cursing? I've, I've shared before that quite often I'll have conversations with people in my mind. And then those conversations turn into arguments. And I always win the arguments in my, my mind. Anyone else? Right? Because I know just what to say. And the Lord had to deal with me. In fact, when we were going through the series on uh, the armor of God, and he was talking about, we were talking about the helmet of salvation. And I realized that I was allowing my thinking to go down avenues that God did not like that he didn't honor, that were not a blessing to people. And I was starting to think of people in, a, in an, an argumentative and in, in an opposition kind of way. God said, you need to rewire your brain. Start thinking about people in a way that blesses them and doesn't curse them. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 and t- through 27, as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and, and moving towards the promised land, God had a lot of instruction for these people. See, they'd been slaves for hundreds of years. They'd been subject to rulers who were brutal and modeled for them brutality in the ways that they dealt with each other. They had no voice of their own. They had no identity of their own. And so God has to unpack for them the way they're supposed to live in every aspect. And, and so there's, right, we, we love reading, reading Leviticus, right? 
No, not really, because first of all, it has no context for us. But read Leviticus through this frame set. It is a love letter from God to his children saying, I love you so much. I want to care about the way that you live your lives. And so I'm going to just map it out for you. I'm going to spell it out for you. So it's not so much laws that you have to live by. But he's saying, you don't know any better, and so I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. So in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. It's called the priestly blessing. And in a lot of churches around the world, as they're dismissed, the, the pastor or the priest will recite that blessing as people go. But these are less words to be read and more words to be lived. The Lord bless you and keep you. You see, God is the source of all blessing. He is the source of all blessing. All blessing flows from the Father. And so if you want to be blessed, that the blessing is going to flow from the heart of God. Listen to me, church. Even if that blessing comes by way of another person, the ultimate source of that blessing is the heart of the Father. If you are blessing people, it's because your soul is in communion and connection with the Father. All blessing flows through the soul. It is a function of the soul. The Lord bless you. God, I want to be a blessing because I want to represent you well. Part of Israel's purpose was to be a prophetic witness in a world that didn't know him. He gives instruction. He says, if there is a foreigner or sojourner that comes into your home, you are to be a blessing to them. You're supposed to welcome them and treat them as one of your own. This is the heart of God towards his creation and towards his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. Keeping, to guard, to protect, to cover. See, Jesus' death and resurrection was an act that was designed to keep us. Jesus went to the cross so that he could keep us, to wrap his arms around us, to move us out of death and into life. In fact, we're going to close the service this morning with communion, and we're going to remember that sacrifice to keep us, that God's heart for us is to to guard us and to protect us. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Have you ever seen someone's face light up? You ever seen any of those videos you ever see, they come across every once in a while, a, a serviceman or woman who comes back from deployment and surprises a husband or a wife or a child, right? And, and you get to see the person who's getting surprised and they walk in and there's that moment where they recognize them and their whole countenance, their whole face just changes and they light up and then there's just tears and you're sitting watching the, the screen and you're crying. Okay, that's just me. Maybe it's any criers, right? I can't do those things. They just wreck me. But there's that moment where their, their face lights up, that Jesus' face, that God's face shines upon you. When he sees you, his face lights up. 
This is a very different picture to the way that God is often portrayed, isn't it? God is somehow angry with me, and when he, he just doesn't want to be with me, and he has that body language maybe you've gotten used to with the people in your circle, in your community, where it's more like the cold shoulder than the warm embrace. That God's countenance towards you, his face wants to shine upon you. And God's telling Moses, pray this over the people. Let them be reminded that my face is to shine upon them. They are my, my joy. They are precious to me. And be gracious to you. God's grace is abounding, never-ending grace. That grace that says, I love you even when I know I don't deserve it. That grace that accepts me and, 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 and forgives me when I know that I've messed up. It's the, it's the prodigal son and the father, the son, the father running to the son and wrapping his arms around him, overjoyed that his son who was lost has now been found. That's God's grace. Not interested about where you've been and what you did. And I'm not going to give you a hard time about it either. I'm just glad you're back. God's grace. One of our values here at Thrive Church is grace extended. Grace extended. That, that we would live our lives in such a way that we extend grace to other people. Because we've been on the receiving end of grace. What does that mean? It means that I'm going to choose to believe the best about your motives and your intentions. That I'm going to choose to believe the best. That I am going to extend grace to you. I mean, we all have bad days, right? Anyone? Anyone not have a bad day? Because we'd love, I'd love to chat. All right, I, I woke up this morning. I woke up tired. You ever have that, you know, like Sealy commercials? Don't you just irritate you? A person who just wakes up and it's like light streaming through the window. I'm just usually like, oh, oh, close the blinds. And, and I, I just woke up tired. I'm like, oh, Lord, this could be a long day. And to be able to turn that around and say, no, God, this is the day that you have made. But we all know there's days where we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we maybe are a little cranky. And what happens is our mirror neurons start firing, right? It happens in our homes. Well, what's up with you? Why have you got that attitude? And then our neurons and our brains and our thinking and our emotions just start ramping up. And before you know it, right, we've not had our first cup of coffee and we're in an argument. Grace Extended would say, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. This is out of character for you. Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe some things are going on. Grace Extended says, you know, I'm going to just choose to pray for you. Now, not go up and be like, hey, what's, what's wrong with you so I can pray for you? No, that's, <laughs> that, that falls back into the cursing spot. <laughs> like, to bless and just say, God, I'm not sure what's happening there. But would you just encourage? That's Grace Extended. And we would all love that. Wouldn't we? Because God gives it to us. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you. Some versions say that he would lift up his countenance. Jesus had an encounter with a crippled man who cries out. And what does Jesus say? 
Look at me. Peter and John walking along. Look at me. Look at us. When you look at someone, you're fully present. The Lord lift his countenance. May he turn his face toward you. We have the opportunity to gaze on the Father face to face. And that he wants to gaze back at us. That he wants to look at us. That he wants to be fully present in every moment of our lives. The Lord turn his face toward you. And then he gives you peace. The Lord give you peace in every part of your life, in every aspect. Peace in the midst of the calm and peace in the midst of the storm. This is God's heart towards us towards his people, towards his children. See, our souls need to be blessed, first by God, but then also by each other. And that we're in a position, we are in the incredible and unique position of being able to be a blessing to others. It's an honor and it's an opportunity that we have. You see, we're designed in the image of God. The Bible tells us that God created us in his image, male and female. He made them in his image. That that image, what he's saying is this, is that we have the capacity to be a blessing just like God has the capacity to be a blessing to us. And as we receive from him, that when we start living that way and giving that, that we are prospering and nurturing each other's souls, the very depths of who we are. You have a desire, whether you know it or not, to be blessed, to walk in blessing. But I pray that you would not only recognize that you have that need, but that you would also start functioning in that way. Because here's what happens is, as we start learning more about the heart of God and pressing into that, we become a greater blessing. You know what the greatest blessing in our lives becomes? Being a blessing. I love that I get to be a blessing. And it starts just kind of bolstering and building me up, giving me a purpose each morning. God, I want, how many people can I bless? I was out with a friend this week, and we were at Home Depot and Lowe's and running different errands, and I was really struck by this guy because everywhere we, we went, he just said hi to everyone, just everyone, just walking. Hey, how you how you doing today? And I'm like, I I got places to go. I, I, I'm like on a tight schedule here. So it wasn't like a you know what we do is like the head nod, like, right? Hey, no, he he was just like, hey, you, you doing good today? How's your day going? And I was just so encouraged. I was so I was blessed by that because you just watch people's faces light up, like, oh, some someone noticed me. As we live in such a way that we're a blessing to others, we will be blessed. See, we're designed for connection and not for collection. And as we build those connections, our souls are nourished. Great indicator. How is your soul doing? Is your soul prospering? Man, what's coming out of your life? Is it blessing or is it cursing? I pray that for every one of us, it would be blessing. We're going to move to communion. We're going to celebrate 
Jesus' sacrifice at the cross for us. It's an appropriate way to actually end this because you see, we can't be a blessing without the cross. There's no way for us to live in that kind of reality were it not for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he laid it all on the line for us. That he went to the cross, as the writer of Hebrews says, spurning uh, the shame and and the agony. Why? Because the joy set before him. Did it hurt? Yes. Did he want to go? No. But he knew. He knew that there was a blessing in that for us, and so he was ready to go. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward with the bread. We're going to pass the trays. If you would hold the bread and then we will receive together in just just a minute. Go ahead. As the trays are being passed, would you just think about the ways that the Lord has blessed you? The things that he's done in your life, the the people that he's put in your life, the connections he's made, the way that he's expressed his love over your life. Would you just take a minute and just think about those things and say thank you? Second, I mean, rather in First Corinthians, Paul writes this, chapter eleven. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God or humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. This is the statement he makes right before he goes into talking about communion. See, communion is about connection. Being in fellowship is about relationship with God 
and with each other. And that as we come to communion this morning, as we share this bread and the cup, that we're making a statement not just about what we've received, but what God has given us to then bless others with as well. And so there needs to be a lining up, an alignment in our lives with His expectation, with His word, that we would be a blessing and not a curse. So he goes on to say this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Something that was broken brought wholeness. Something that was torn apart brought restoration. That his body sacrificed for us, beaten for us, that would minister blessing physically, emotionally, spiritually to every aspect of our lives so that he could keep us. So Jesus, we're thankful for your body broken for us. For your sacrifice. That we can walk in right relationship with you. That we can receive the healing for our lives. For the broken places. Lord, I pray this morning for, for healing over brokenness. I pray for healing physically. I pray for healing mentally. And emotionally, Lord, I pray that that there would be a healing of our minds that would take place. Lord, in those places where we've learned that certain things are okay and acceptable or even encouraged, but Lord, do not line up with your heart. Would you bring healing to those places in our minds? Lord, bring healing to our emotions. Lord, where our emotions are damaged and, and Lord... Our emotions cause us, Lord, to say yes to things that we shouldn't say yes to and no to things that we should be saying yes to. Bring healing. Lord, where our bodies are broken and and in pain and suffering, would you bring healing? Thank you, Lord, for your body that was given for us. In Jesus' name, let's receive together the bread. Paul continues, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Go ahead, man. Again, if you will hold on to the cup and then we'll receive together. The writer of Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. Remember, I was talking about in the Old Testament how God expressed his love to his people. And one of the things he did is he established a sacrificial system by which the blood of animals was shed. And what it did, it, it, it gave them place to approach the presence of God, to get close Because God's desire was to be reconciled with his creation, with his sons and his daughters. 
But it was an imperfect system because they were imperfect sacrifices. So Jesus comes and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb without spot or blemish. And because he was a perfect sacrifice, he only needed to to do it once. And his blood that was shed brings forgiveness to our sin, covers our sin once and for all. That grace of God extended to us so that we can walk in right relationship with God. And rather than just coming close to the presence of God, being able to be in the presence of God and gaze upon his face to experience his love, his touch, his warmth. In that moment on the cross when the veil was torn in two, that veil that kept the presence of God at bay, not for his benefit, but for ours, was torn in two so that we could experience the fullness of who he is made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your blood shed at Calvary for us. We thank you that you willingly went to the cross so that we can be in right relationship with the Father. But God, I pray that as we receive this cup and as we thank you for the blessing that it is, that we would be encouraged then to be a blessing, to take just as Paul says, what he received, he gave, that we would, as we receive from you, that we would give. Everywhere we go, every person that we talk to, every circumstance that we find ourselves in, Lord, that we would seek to be a blessing and not a curse. And thank you, Jesus, that you've given us what we need. You've opened the doors. You've empowered us because of your shed blood. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close together and worship. Our prayer team is available. If you'd like to pray with someone after service, you're welcome to do that. Let's seal this time by lifting our voices to the Lord. <laughs>